morning, I want to invite you to open up to Acts chapter 9. We're going to take a look at why conversion changes everything. One of the sad things I, I see in statistics, which are really relatively pointless because statistics don't really tell you anything, but people like to talk about them. One of the statistics that I see is how many people in the, in the United States, at least in times past, consider themselves to be believers. But the comment that would always follow that is the idea that every other statistic that deals with the world is mirrored in the church. So people look at it and they say, well, what's the, what's the difference? I guess I can be a Christian because nothing changes. I become a Christian and everything stays the same. And I'm not sure that's possible. As we look uh, this morning in Acts chapter 9, we see a conversion of a man nobody believed would ever be saved. His name is Saul. You remember he spent his whole life going around destroying the church, arresting people, killing people, separating families. He did incredible amount of damage in Jerusalem. He did so much damage against the church that he went to the high priest and they sent him to Damascus to do the same thing over there because it's another big group 10,000 Jews lived in Damascus. So he goes over there, about 30, maybe 40 synagogues. He's going he's gonna to tear all those down. He's going he's gonna to wipe out this influence of Christianity wherever he finds it. And I believe, in looking in the pages of Scripture, that the apostles sitting at home were not praying for the salvation of Saul. They're praying for the deliverance Maybe they're praying that God would deliver, that God would do something amazing, that He would move in, and, and, and keep the people out of harm's way. But I don't believe, based on what I see in Acts chapter 9, that they were believing that God would save Saul. Yet He did. It just goes to show us that nobody is outside of the touch of the Holy Spirit to convict them to believe. And before we say the only reason Saul believed is because God showed himself to him, the Bible specifically tells us, if you will not believe the word, neither will you believe, even if one would rise from the dead and present himself to you. So the same way that we're saved by faith in the word of God is the same way that Saul gets saved. The difference is the presentation, but the belief is the same. He gives his life to the Lord. Whenever I think about that, and Don was sharing today about prayer, but prayer has been such a, uh, a big deal to me, and it's such an important aspect. We, Brian shared with us last week about praying for Saeed. So we came last Sunday night at 5 o'clock, and we gathered in a room over here, and we prayed for him. We lifted him up in prayer. If you don't know, Saeed is a brother from Boise who's in prison in Iran. His wife and family went to go see him, but they, they couldn't find him. They, they couldn't locate him in the prison which doesn't give you a lot of confidence for the way things are being done. Finally, later on, the last word I got, and if somebody else got a fresher word, they located his name on a list, so they know where he is, at least on a list in a ward, but they haven't seen him face to face yet. And so we're praying for him. We're praying that God's going to deliver him. The Lord just led me as we were praying to pray for the judge. Because I was thinking about this concept. Well, so who's the most unlikely guy to get saved as a result of Saeed's testimony in Iran, if not the hanging judge that they put him in front of so that he could become a martyr? Why not be praying for him? Why not pray that God would show him, that the Spirit would enlighten him? And I was interested because I, I read a report that said, as Saeed shared, uh, gave his defense the, the day he had his opportunity and his lawyer, he was able to share a little bit about who he was, his faith, what he believed in the... The guy, the, the person who wrote it said it looked like a couple times the judge was touched. And, I'm, and I think to myself, ah, praise the Lord. I mean, I'm hopeful. Uh, you know, I, I'm sorry for the family. And I don't want to sound insensitive because I really want the family to be reunited. But when they, when they told me they couldn't find him, all I could think of was well, just look for the Bible study happening in the middle of the prison because I don't care where he's at. So God put him there for a reason. You think missionaries are able to get to those men who's in that prison right now? They can't get there unless they get arrested and thrown in, which would happen if they knew they were missionaries. 
So he's there, and who knows what man, who knows... I mean, we, know, we read the stories of God. He went out of his way to just touch one man's life, the Ethiopian eunuch. He went out of his way to touch one woman's life in Samaria who was by a well. He went out of his way to shine a light from heaven upon Saul himself. God desires that no one would perish. And so, I, you know, I hope Saeed gets home safe, but more, I hope God is glorified in that prison. I hope he shares the word with everybody he comes in touch with. He's in God's hands. God has him. God won't lose him. God won't lose him. We'll continue to pray for him. But I want to pray those kind of prayers. I want to pray prayers of power, not prayers of of impotency, pretending like uh, we're just going to sit back and be okay with how things always go. I want, to, I want to pray with power. I see them praying with power. I see Jesus saying, if I ask things according to Him, His way, I have them. Amen. Not maybe or could or... Sh-. He says, I got them. So then what do I got to do? I got to align myself with God. That means I got to get up off the sideline, stop doing all this lazy Christianity thing that we think we can get away with, and I got to get in the game, all in. All. Oh. Revival does not come because we wish for it. Revival comes through travail. Travail in prayer. Travail in, in sharing God's word. Travail in, in this experiences and things that are happening around us. We can wish for revival, but revival is going to happen one life at a time, just like it did for Saul. And his conversion, what happened? And his conversion, I'm telling you, a revival broke out. Now listen, we have this concept that revival comes every now and again. Our God is a God of revival all the time. He's not a God of revival some of the time. What do I mean? I mean, he said, I desire that none perish. And we quote verses. We just sang a song about God is able. Everybody believe God is able? I believe God is able. Do you know what the rest of the verse says? According to the power that works in us. God's not going to make it happen. He's going to use us. Remember the, the pattern of what it is that the Lord spoke to Moses? He said, I have seen the oppression of the people. I've heard their cries. I came down. What's the fourth part? I send you. It's the same thing that Jesus said to go into all nations and make disciples of all men. So as we look at this last section in, in Acts chapter 9, we got to see that conversion changes everything. Everything. Who we are, what we do, our priorities in life. Listen, brothers and sisters, if I can't get nothing else across you, please hear me. If you believe in Jesus Christ and He is not your number one priority in life, then you are messed up. You are in sin. You need to repent and get on track. If your desire is, your premium desire is looking for a husband or looking for a wife. If premium desire is making money or considering what crops you're going to plant next year and how the harvest is going to go. I'm not saying none of those things are important, but I'm saying your number one priority. What's your number one priority? How do you define yourself? That's why I love, I will be thankful to CR for, for this concept for the rest of my life. How do you define yourself? How do you define yourself? Do you define yourself by what you do? Because that's not who you are. And if that is who you are, then your definition is messed up. Because if you believe in Jesus Christ, then your definition, you are defined by, I am a believer in Jesus Christ. That's first. Who farms? Who is a banker? Who does whatever they do? That's what I do. But who I am is Jesus Christ. Man, that's got to be the right... If that's not the right priority, we're living a powerless life. Our prayers are powerless. We're not seeing God move and we're wondering what's going on. In our life, we're trying to add Christ to our life. We're trying to say, here's my life every other day of the week, but God, I'm going to add you to my life. I'm going to go to church on Sunday and and that's going to change everything because my life's going to change the result. There's no power in that. There's power in a life surrendered and submitted to Jesus Christ, filled with the Holy Spirit, moving forward in power. That's where the power is. And we see that in this section in Acts chapter 9. Join me as we take a look, beginning at verse 19. 
So when he had received food, he was strengthened. And Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. Immediately he preached Christ in the synagogue that he is the Son of God. And all who heard were amazed and said, Is this not he who destroyed those who called on his name in Jerusalem? And has come here for that purpose so that he might bring them bound to the chief priests? But Saul, he increased all the more in strength. And he confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that Jesus is the Christ. Now after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot came, became known to Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. The disciples took him by the night, led him down through the wall in a large basket. <coughs> and when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. But they were afraid of him, did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas he took him and brought him into the apostles. And he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road, and that he had spoken to him, and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. So he was with them at Jerusalem, coming in and going out. And he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus, and disputed against the Hellenists, but they attempted to kill him. When the brethren found out, they brought him down to Caesarea, and sent him to Tarsus. Then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, Samaria had peace, and were edified, and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplying. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, so thankful for your word and the truth of your word. God, we pray now that your word would find fruitful soil within our, within our hearts to be planted, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear, and that we desire not to be hearers only, but doers also. God, apply your word to our life as we seek your blessing. As we search the scriptures today, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Conversion changes everything. Priorities change. And we can see it in the life of Paul. Let's look. Let's look at the story we just read as we worked our way through. At the immediate response of Saul's life. Immediately, things dramatically change. For example, the first thing I want to bring to your attention... He sought out the fellowship of the disciples. Verse 19 tells us, after he was strengthened, that Saul spent some days with the, with the disciples at Damascus. First thing he did. First thing he did is seek out fellowship. We, as believers, have to be in fellowship. I don't care where you fellowship, but you've got to be in fellowship someplace. You have to have the strength of other believers around you. I'll tell you what I do struggle with. I do struggle with people who say they believe in Jesus Christ, but they hate His bride. Oh yeah, I believe in Jesus, but I am against organized religion. You ever heard that? Okay, so I, you believe in Jesus, and you're part of the bride of Christ, but you hate the bride of Christ whom Christ loves. i got a problem with that. That's not okay. Now... Maybe by that you mean it's a hassle to gather together because we're people. Yeah, it's a hassle to be with people in McDonald's. It's a hassle to be with people in a restaurant anywhere. It's a hassle to be with people in a library. I sit down and start to read and somebody's talking. It's a hassle. I don't hate organized libraries. <laughs> the point is, when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, He calls for us to seek fellowship. The, the writer of Hebrews would say this, Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together, as is the manner of some, and so much more as you see the day approach. What's he mean? He means get together. Now, I don't care if you get together in here, if you get together in home fellowships. I don't care how you fellowship, but you got a fellowship. Conversion changes everything. Before... Saul didn't care about fellowship. He was coming to arrest these guys. He was going to put them in prison, put them in chains, drag them back to Jerusalem, and stone them. Now he just wants to hang out. Hey guys, as long as I'm here, can we hang out for a while? Let's talk about the Bible. The first thing we see, he seeks fellowship. He seeks a fellowship of the, of the body. The second thing we see is he cannot stop talking about what happened to him. I mean, let's face it. When you have an experience with God, when you have an experience with God, 
You cannot help but share that. You cannot help but share what God has shown you. What does the word tell us? The word tells in verse 20, immediately he preached Christ. That word Christ is the same as the word Messiah. He went into the synagogues and preached the Messiah. Now they're always looking for the Messiah. What did he preach about the Messiah? He preached that the Messiah was the Son of God. By the way, for all those... It it takes us 2,000 years later to screw this up. But at the time when they were speaking of him being the Son of God, they mean single in essence, nature, and character. They mean God in the flesh. Not some, you know, lightly less God or demigod like the Greek mindset was. That was never the Hebrew mindset, ever. That was never their mindset. We mess that up now. We look at it and put our definition to it. But that's not what it meant. What it meant was God in the flesh. He is God in the flesh. If, if that's a problem for you, listen. 1 John chapter 4 and 1 John chapter 5. In your Bibles, read them. Because they say, unless you believe that Jesus Christ is the incarnate Son of God, you are not saved. Jesus said... Unless you believe that I am eternal God, you will die in your sins. That's an important concept to grasp in our faith. And Saul had it. He spoke of the Messiah, that he is the Son of God. He couldn't help but share his experience. He couldn't help but share what had happened and what had gone on in his life. He understood. Listen, what's God's name? We know God's name. God's name's Yahweh, as far as we can tell. Well, let me tell you why we say that. All we have is the consonants of God's name. Ancient Hebrew was only written in consonants, no vowels. So the high priest used to whisper the name of God to the next high priest. And somewhere down the line, fellows stopped whispering it. They stopped telling each other. So they lost what vowels were a part of the name of God. We have Y-H-W-H. So we put vowels in it and say Yahweh. Other people take that Y-H-W-H and come up with Jehovah. I can guarantee you God's name's not Jehovah. Do you know why? Because in Hebrew there's no J. It can be Yehovah. That's okay. Yehovah, Yahweh. But we know those four consonants. Those four consonants. In John chapter 17, Jesus says of the Father... Jesus says of Almighty God, Yahweh, He says, you gave me your name. Whoa. You understand? John 17, 11, you gave me your name, Yahweh. Yahweh. What does Yeshua mean? Yahweh saves. Yahweh saves saves you put your name in me he is god in the flesh man he can't help it. he's talking he's preaching he's saying he's putting it out he's saying man i gotta tell you guys what happened i gotta tell you guys what's going on in my life so immediately that word immediately is a word of a slave when a slave hears from his master and goes immediately he does what the master says this is the same word used to saul he comes face to face with jesus christ three days and three nights he's in a, in a period of fasting um, and I believe God's dealing with his unbelief and issues in his life while he's fasting. And Ananias comes to him, prays over him. He heals. He, he receives his sight. He is baptized in the power of the Holy Spirit. He is baptized in water. He goes forward. I'm not talking about 50 years of time. We're saying the next day. Immediately he knows, i got to be doing something. I need to be a part of something. He was a go-getter. God didn't change his, his uh, personality. He was a go-getter. He was a motivated guy before. And he's a go-getter and motivated guy after. Immediately he starts to tell people and share with people what it is that God has shown him and what he's done in his life. The third thing that we see, the third thing we see is others recognize the change. Other people recognize the change. Look, all who heard were amazed. And said, is this not he who destroyed those who called on this name in Jerusalem? And has come here for that purpose so that he might bring them bound to the chief priests? People saw his life was different. If we have faith, if I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, I put my faith and trust in him. That's on my inside, my outside should match. 
Now there's a variety of, there's a, Periods of time where we struggle in that, right? Don just shared. He had faith in Jesus Christ, but it took him a while for his outside to match his inside. You don't have to take that long. Ask Don, he'll tell you. You can ask me. You don't have to waste 17 years. You don't have to just sit around and and hope that life somehow gets better. I put my faith in Jesus Christ, but I'm not doing anything with it. I'm not applying it. Because when you apply... When what's on your inside is on your outside, people know something's different. Hey, Saul's life was radically changed, right? The people started saying, wasn't this a guy who was killing all the Christians a little while ago and here he is preaching? He just popped into the synagogue today and started telling us about the Christ, the Messiah, showing us that he's the Son of God out of the Old Testament Scriptures. Is this a guy? They see Something changes in the life of a person who is converted. It changes. That's what we long for, that change, that empowerment. The next thing we see is he grew in his understanding of the word. Look what the scripture says in verse 22. But Paul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that Jesus is the Christ. Okay? So, he, he was proving that Christ is the Son of God in verse 20. And in verse 22, he was proving that Jesus is the Christ. So that means, yes, thank you, we all can understand deductive reasoning, right? Therefore, Jesus is the Son of God. Even though he said that in Mark, when they asked him, are you the Son of God? Yes, it's as you say, I'm the Son of God. The Jews, over and over again when he said it, said they were going to kill him. Why? Because he, he's pretending to be a demigod? No, that's not what they said. They said, we're stoning you not for a good work that you have done, but because you are consistently making yourself to be God. To be God. So, we see him there on the page of the scripture. He's showing that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. He's growing in the word. He's confounding the Jews. He's, he's using, listen, he, didn't, he hadn't wrote the New Testament yet. He hasn't wrote it yet. Thirteen of the books in the New Testament are Pauline. Some argue fourteen. Are Pauline. So he, he's a big part of, of putting together the New Testament. Well, how did, he, how did he prove Jesus was the Christ? That word to prove means to join with. He takes the, the words, the works... The things that Jesus did, and he lined them up with the Old Testament prophecies concerning the Messiah, and he proved that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God. That Jesus was the promised Messiah. He proved it. That's incredible. How many days past conversion are we? I don't know, not very many. He's out there doing, he's given himself, he's given himself over to everything that that he was against. Now he's a part of it. Now he's joined the game. Now he's in. He's walking the way that God would have him walk. He grows in his understanding. So we see he sought out fellowship with believers. We see immediately he couldn't stop telling people about what had happened to him. We see that other people recognized something was different about his life. We see that he grew in his understanding of the word. This is a process in the life of every single believer. Oh, but there's another part to that. That doesn't stop there because next, the proclaimer becomes the persecuted. It's funny that he used to be the persecutor, and then he became the proclaimer, and now he himself is going to face persecution. Look, the scripture tells in verse 23, Not Now after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. That that word kill, by the way, is not a nice word. It's closely aligned with the concept of murder. They're going to make him shut up. They're going to kill him. Now after many days. Now right there, just for your personal notes, in that phrase where it says, after many days, that's where Saul went to Arabia for three years. He was gone. He was trained up by God. And he came back. To Damascus. 
that many days, that's what it's talking about. After many days, it's, it's referring to him being absent for three years and back. Now I know you are all good Bible students and you're saying, what? You're crazy. Well, let's just real quickly, we'll take a look at them, them many days. Galatians 1, 16 and 17. And to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. After three years, I went to Jerusalem. So there's an absence somewhere in the neighborhood of three years. He ends up in Jerusalem just after three years. So he goes to Arabia, not many days. Now, a lot of people read the Bible and they say, well, here it says not many, not... or." Oh, some, sometimes it just happens that way. You know what I mean? So it says, not, now many days, now, not many, now many days. <clears throat> I'll slow down. We're past. How do you know that that's talking about three-year time? That's kind of a stretch. I think this is, could be one of them Bible contradictions. Oh, well, that's nice. There are no such thing as a Bible contradiction. So let me show you why I say that's for three years. 1 Kings. That's in your Old Testament. In 1 Kings chapter 2, verses 38 and 39. Shimei said to the king, This saying is good. As my lord the king has said, so your servant will do. So Shimei dwelt in Jerusalem many days. Verse 39. Now it happened at the end of three years. Shimei ran away. Two slaves of Shimei ran away. Now, the the point is, many days referred to how long? Three years in the Old Testament. Exactly what we're saying from the example given in Galatians chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. So, no contradiction there. It's just a side note so that you understand when we talk about the, the times that, that Saul or Paul spent in Arabia, this is where that time fits. But what we do want to recognize is the concept that after many days, when he came back to Damascus, like... Galatians chapter 1 says he came back to Damascus. The Jews wanted to kill him. We need to get rid of this guy. He was a pain before. Now he's been with God for three years. He comes back and he's blowing us apart. And he's, he's, people are getting converted. Jews are becoming Christians right and left. We've got to stop it. There won't be any Jews left. So they're going to kill him. They want to wipe him out. They want to abolish all that he is doing. So we see the true conversion will bring persecution. It happens. But then, right after that, what do we see? We see God's provision and protection. God's provision and protection. Look, God shows it in verse 24. But their plot became known to Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. But the disciples took him by night and led him down through the wall in a large basket. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, as Paul's referring to this, he also talks about how they were guarding the gate. In Damascus, the governor, under Aretas, the king, was guarding the city of the Damascenes with a garrison desiring to arrest me. What does that mean? Okay, Aretas is the king of the Nabataeans. The Nabataean is the area where Paul went for three years in Arabia to be trained by God. So I'm sure he was busy there in the, among the Nabataeans. Then he came back to Damascus. Now the king of the Nabataeans, named Aretas, he wants Paul arrested. So he's got a garrison of Nabataean guys outside the gate. And the Jews got a bunch of guys inside the gate, and they're just trying to find them. They, there's no way out. You're going to have to come through us. We're going to get you. But God revealed to Saul what was going to happen. And when Saul understood, the very people he was going to kill help him escape. That's a radical life change, isn't it? That's a radical change of life, man. He's... He was headed left, now he's going right. His, his life will never, ever be the same. And everywhere he went, you know what happened? Revival happened. You know why revival happened? Because he was infused with the power of the Holy Spirit and he hung around the brethren. And as he hung around the brethren, he couldn't help but share what God was doing in his life. And as he shared what God was doing in his life, other people started to see the change in his life. Man, that starts to get catching like a little fire starting. It just starts spreading all over the place. And then he grew daily in the Word. And he was, he was getting wiser and, and understanding more about what God was asking him to do and wanting him to do. And so he was going out and showing people and teaching and, and preaching, giving the Word, going wherever he could. He was telling about what was happening in his life. 
And what happened? Persecution. And you know, what does persecution do? It fans the flame of the gospel. And so, revival begins to spread out of that. And what's God do? God saves him, protects him, and sends him to another place. That's pretty exciting, isn't it? That's what God wants to do in every single believer. Not just Paul. Every single believer. People look at Elijah and they say, Oh, Elijah is such an incredible guy. He must have had some special gift. What does James tell us? James says, Elijah was a man just like you and me. Who prayed. He prayed. He prayed. He cried to God. He prayed. What happens? What, just I don't know. Because I've... I'm still struggling with the concept. But what happens if I said, you know what? I'm going to pray and I'm not going to stop praying until God moves, until God does this. I'm going to pray. Kind of afraid to do that, ain't we? Oh, the Lord might just require us to pray all night. Oh, and then I'll be tired for work the next day. And God's powerful and he's strong. So I just pray once and God will just do it. But how many times in the scripture does God say, keep knocking, keep seeking, keep asking? Doesn't he tell us to do that? So I think there's a call for us to travail in prayer. To travail in prayer and to see those sparks come in our life. To see those sparks spread to others. That's revival, folks. Revival's not something where some guy comes in with a fancy suit and he preaches some special messages and a bunch of people come up and we all pray and we say we had revival. No. Revival is a way of life. If you want revival, you've got to change the priorities. You've got to get in the game. You know what else I love about the Bible? Is in case you're going to miss something, God often puts things in there more than once. Have you ever noticed that? So just in case you were thinking, Jackie's almost done. You're right, I'm almost done. But we still got the rest of what we read. So let's think about this. Okay, so, so, so he goes to Jerusalem. I wonder what happens in Jerusalem. Surely he does things completely different there, right? Well, let's look. It says, it says in uh, the disciples, uh, or say, verse 26. And when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. Oh, the first thing he did is do what? Seek out fellowship. Oh, my goodness. Well, that's completely, no, that's the same thing he did before, huh? Seek out fellowship. Now, these guys don't want to have nothing to do with them. Why? Well, their brothers and sisters and and husbands and wives were killed by Saul. And all of a sudden, Saul's at the door of the church saying, Hey, uh, can I fellowship with you guys? No. Go away. We don't believe there's anything different about you. All they could see is what his reputation was. They could not see how his character had been changed. So he's tried. Now that word, and he tried to join, in the Greek it means to a continuous action. He kept trying. He kept trying. And one day, well, he's trying and he's walking away. Now well, they won't let me in again. And you know Paul, read Paul's epistles. He's a fired up kind of guy. So he's kind of fired up about it. And all of a sudden here comes this fellow named Barnabas. And he comes up and he sees Saul and he says, hey, come here, Saul. It says he took hold. The, the words used, I mean, he grabbed him. Not like, oh, come with me. No, he snatched him up where he was, uh, you know, having his little fit outside. And he says, let's go. And he drug him into the apostles. And what did he do? He testified to what? The changed life in Saul. Others saw his life is different. Just like before. Just like before. A different order, but the same thing. Other people recognize Barnabas gave testimony to his changed life. He took him in and brought him to the apostles and he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and how he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus and in the name of Jesus. So he was with them at Jerusalem coming in and going out. They let him join. He's only there 15 days. He's only there 15 days. I know. You're going to ask me, how do I know? But I don't have enough time to tell you. So ask me afterwards and I'll show you. he's there 15 days. He's there 15 days. He goes and he seeks out fellowship. He has others testifying of the change in his life. What's he do next? He cannot stop talking about what God has done in his life. 
He can't help himself. Look at the next word. And he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus. He could not help but talk about what Jesus had done in his life. He couldn't stop himself. He had to go out. He had to tell people about what Jesus had done. And what's next? He grew in knowledge of the word. The next phrase in that verse says that he uh, disputed against the Hellenists. Now, in case you forget, who's the Hellenist? Hellenist. I I remember that name. You remember Stephen? He went to a synagogue. It was called the Synagogue of the Freedmen. Where there were a lot of Hellenists. And he began to talk about Jesus. And this turned into a big argument. Which led ultimately to his martyrdom. One of the members of that synagogue's name was Saul. So Saul's in Jerusalem. He's only going to be there a total of 15 days. And he's already at the synagogue where he used to fellowship. And he's already telling them the same stuff Stephen told them when Saul held their coats while they stoned him. He's witnessing to the same guys who were side by side with him to destroy Christianity. He goes right into the teeth of the lion, man. He is unafraid. He's passionate. He's filled with a desire to see revival break out. And he doesn't want anybody left behind. So he's there, man, and he's just pouring it out. He's pouring it out. When it says he disputed, that means he was reasoning. The word means to reason from the scriptures. So when I say he was growing in the word, he's reasoning from the scripture. He's showing them in the Old Testament that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. He's trying to bring them along. He's trying to show them. He can't help but tell them the experience he's had. He's growing in the Word every day. But what happens is revival begins to start. What's going to happen? Persecution. What's the next part of that verse say? Verse 30, or verse 29. But they attempted to kill him. Jackie, I don't know. You're kind of pulling this pattern out on, on Saul, and I'm not sure that this applies to everybody. Well, you read the book of Acts. You find a city that Paul goes to that this is not exactly how it goes. Now, Philippi will be a little different because there's no believers there. So he makes them. That's where he gets arrested and we have this whole thing. I don't want to run down that rabbit trail. But you look. This is how Paul's life changed. Now, hold it up. Write it over a transparency and hold it up and put your life right behind it. And say, is this how my life looks? Now, I know you desire fellowship because you're all here. Can you not help but share what God has done in your life? Are you growing in the Word of God? You will, the Bible tells us, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus. What's the next part of that? Will suffer persecution. So, if you're a believer, that part's going to come automatic. You don't have to look for it. You don't have to go make it happen. It'll come. And at the same time, what else will come? God's provision and protection. At the same time. The Bible says that they sought to kill him. That persecution was coming. They want to kill him. So, <clears throat> verse 30 says, When the brethren found out, they brought him to Caesarea and sent him to Tarsus. How'd the brother find out? Remember I said you God, God shows him his provision and his protection? Well, we got to listen to Saul tell the story. Because Saul, Saul gives us a little more information. Look at Acts 22, beginning at verse 17. They're here to kill him. They're trying to wipe him out. He's preaching. He won't stop. Acts twenty-two seventeen says, Now it happened. When I returned to Jerusalem, was praying in the temple, I was in a trance. And, and saw him saying to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, for they will not receive your testimony concerning me. So I said, Lord... They know that in every synagogue I imprisoned and beat those who believe on you. And when the blood of the martyr Stephen was shed, I was standing by consenting to his death and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Then he said to me, depart, for I will send you far from here to the Gentiles. Now listen to what it is that Saul says. He's at the temple. He's probably just been at the synagogue disputing with the Hellenists. He's at the temple praying. He's praying. He's seeking the Lord. He's calling on the Lord's name, and the Lord gives him a vision. And in the vision, the Lord says to him, Saul, they're not going to listen. You cannot make them receive the truth. They don't want to hear it. And Saul said, Lord, 
they know, I killed, I slaughtered Christians here, and I'm ready to die. I'll die right here. That's what he's saying. And the Lord says, no. Depart. I'm sending you far from here to the Gentiles. So they ship him off. They send him to Cilicia. The, the capital city of Cilicia, by the way, is Tarsus. We read in Acts chapter 15 that there are churches somehow magically in Cilicia. But we read of no missionary journey there. So where'd they come from? Well, Saul was there for 8 to 10 years. 8 to 10 years are going to pass between chapter 9 and chapter 11. 8 to 10 years. What's he do those 8 to 10 years? Same thing he did here. He gathered in fellowship. He, he taught the word. He, he shared what God was doing. He grew in grace and understanding. He faced persecution. God protected him. And churches were established. Churches were established, man, because he was about doing everything that, that God had laid on his heart to do. This is, this is what revival looks like. And then in verse 31, Then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace. Now, I want you to listen to that. Because there are a lot of people who will say that the church will only be purified if she has persecution. you read that word? Do you read what that verse says? Then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified. That means they were built up in a time of peace. Is that possible? Yeah. Why? Because men and women desired to live their life following that example that we see in Saul. What did Saul say? He said, follow me as I follow Christ. Emulate this in your life. And you will, beginning to, you will be beginning to plant the seeds of revival. The Bible says, whatsoever a man sows, what? That shall he also reap. What do we know about the law of sowing and reaping? If I throw a seed on the ground, is it coming right now? Nope. I got to wait, don't I? I got to wait. I got to travail. I got to pray. I got to work the, the ground. I got to take care of it so that it does bring forth the harvest. So I got to sow the seeds of revival. I need to realize that revival is yet in the distance, but I got to be patient like that good farmer. I got to be patient like that soldier. I got to be that guy who says, I'm going to follow orders. I'm going to go out and do the stuff God's asking me to do. I'm going to sow the seeds of revival. I'm going to follow the example of Paul. That's what my life's supposed to look like. That's the conversion that changes everything. That's the life that is defined by a relationship in Jesus Christ in no other way. So in peace, the church was edified. But look what else the scripture tells us. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. What's that next phrase? They were multiplied. Sounds to me like the church grows in peace too. Yeah, you see, God's a God of revival. He don't ever want a, a day to pass where someone can't get saved. So what was the key for the, for the churches? What was the key? They walked in the fear of the Lord. What does that mean? They had the proper view towards sin. In other words, before they would sin, live a lifestyle in disregard to what the Word of God teaches. They considered how it would look to their Father in heaven. They considered how it looked to Jesus Christ, our Savior. That means before they did things that they knew were sin, they cared more about how it looked for God. They had a right attitude about sin. We're soft on sin today. We justify how we live our lives and the choices that we make. We justify our gossip. We justify the things that God's Word says don't do. We justify the things God says He hates. We want to see revival pouring out in the church, so we have to address it. We have to walk in the fear of the Lord. That means if I'm going to walk in the fear of the Lord, I have a proper attitude towards sin. What's my proper attitude towards sin? I flee. Get away from it. Stay away from it. I'm not going to let it live in my life, coexist, and just add Christ to me. That doesn't work. Does that mean I won't ever sin? No, it means I have a right attitude about it. So when I do sin, what do I do? I confess it. I ask for forgiveness. And I move forward. But I can't deal with it if I, don't, if I look at it and I think it's no big deal. It's no problem. Who cares? Why he's always... God, I hate going to church and they just bust my chops over sin. 
Well, stop sinning. I'll stop preaching about it. <laughs> we got we to gotta have a right attitude towards sin. The second thing, walking in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Listen, folks, the church is a church lacking power because we in the church are not walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. How are we walking? We need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, listen, I don't want to argue semantics and, and get all crazy about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I don't care what you call it. Uh, let me, let's make it easy. Ephesians chapter 5, what's it say? Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, that is, again, in the tense that means be always, constantly, continually being filled with the Holy Spirit. So I don't care what you call it. You call it whatever makes you happy. But we have got to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Filled with the Holy Spirit. The power to, to, to help us walk in the fear of the Lord. The power to walk in and follow the example that, that Saul lays out for us here. Because we are filled with the Holy Spirit. Listen, this is what the church needs to multiply. This is what the church needs to see revival. I want to I sow seeds of revival. And I'll, I'm more than happy to... To do it with many or few. But I know if we as a body are willing to make the sacrifices necessary to spend long hours with the Lord in prayer, just just calling on his name. You know, I don't uh, I always gotta be careful if I start to say something and then I stop. Look, God led me to a 21-day fast. And this will be the last Sunday I preach while fasting. But as I've been fasting and seeking the Lord and going after Him, my wife and I have experienced the greatest devotions and prayer time we've ever had in our whole life, haven't we? Most incredible time we've ever had. You know what I discover? When I spend time in prayer and my attitude's right and the unbelief in my life is washed away and I'm not caring about myself and feeding myself and doing all that stuff, what I discover is I find the presence of God and then I don't want to leave. We were praying. I was praying with Jason and Brian. We're in my office uh, Tuesday night and we're just praying. We're just going. I don't want to stop. I don't want to. Not for my stupid cell phone. We'd still be praying in that office. I got Lecrae on my cell phone, and all of a sudden he started rapping. I know, it's kind of funny the preacher got a rapper on his phone. But anyway, um, he starts rapping about, I'm not ashamed, and scared me. And I kind of woke us up from our prayer time. So, but what I discover is, as I am in the presence of God, that's all I want to be. Uh, every day, every moment, every next opportunity, I can't wait to get in that presence again. If, you don't, if you're not experiencing that in your life, listen, if you're not experiencing that in your life, you're not experiencing all that God has for you. You're not yet catching that fire because when you're in that presence and you feel the presence of God and you, you just feel Him around you, I don't even care if I'm asking for anything or if I'm saying anything. I just want to be there. I just want to bask in His presence. That is what Christianity is all about. That place. And we got to get there as a body. And when we do, God's going to shake everything that can be shaken. He's going to change it all. But it's going to cost us something. It costs us sleep. It may cost us time, money, I don't know. It's going to cost. And the question that God would shout from the heavens is, what price are you willing to pay to see me move in power in your midst? And for those of us who love him, I'll pay anything. If you want it, take it. It's yours. Whatever he wants, whatever he needs, we need to have that attitude and watch God blow up in our midst. And for all the guys, that's going to happen next weekend, guaranteed. For you guys who did who aren't coming, I'm sorry you're going to miss it. I wish you would go. I wish you would go because it'll be there. It'll be there, and we're bringing it down from the mountain, and we're going to light our wives on fire and our kid. Not really, guys. <laughs> but we're going to see that Holy Spirit fire move in amazing ways. Amen. Amen. Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you so much for the truth of your word. 
for what your word lays out to us, Lord Jesus, for what your word is, is showing us. And God, Father, we just come before you believing that you want to do an awakening. You want to awaken our hearts to you. You want to awaken our souls. You want to get us up out of sleep. Father, there's so much to be done. There's so much that we can do. God, I know you want to use every one of us. We just got to come to that right place, Lord Jesus. We just got to come to that place of surrender. We got to be broken because God only uses broken things. If you're not broken, he can't use you. You got to be broke. You got to be broken. God wants to use these things. He wants to move in power, Lord God. We're believing for an awakening. We desire to see it, but God, we don't want to see it out there. We'll see it in here. I want to see it in me. I want to see it in my soul. I want to see it in my spirit, God. I want more of you. So many years I believed I, I had a concept, an understanding of what this, this relationship was like. And then, God, I found something deeper. I found something greater. I found something more amazing, God. And I, I want that. But I know, Lord, as I continue to, to, to chase after your presence, God, that there's more. There's more. I, I, I can't even imagine. But there's more. There's more that you want to do. There's more that you want to reveal. There's more that you want to show. Oh, God, I, I don't want just another day of just, I'm a Christian and I do this. and Man, I want, I want the real deal. I want it all. Everything you got. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that men and women here want that same thing, God. They want that same feeling, that same overflowing, that same effect in their life. So, God, move. So, God, empower. Wake us up. Wake us up and may the fires of revival begin. And may they begin in our hearts. And may we be willing to sow the seeds of revival and then travail over them until the harvest comes. As Lord, you declare, you declare for us to not grow weary in doing good for you will receive a harvest in due time if you do not lose heart. God, we seek, and we're going to knock, and we're going to cry, and we're going to beg, but we want to see you on your church in power. Be glorified and magnified in this place, Lord Jesus, as we seek to honor you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.